welcome. My name is Sophia Besch and you're listening to the CER podcast. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the CER podcast series on the economics of populism. My name is Christian Onda. I'm the chief economist at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Marcel Fratscher and Ryan Avent. Marcel Fratscher is president at the DRW Berlin and professor of macroeconomics and finance at Humboldt University. And Ryan Avent is the economics columnist at The Economist. Um, thanks for being here. Um, the topic of this episode is, um, is inequality behind the rise of populism. Let me start by asking you uh, just to quickly, in 30 to 60 seconds, summarize what you said on the panel uh, on the rise of whether inequality is behind the rise of populism. My short answer is yes, uh, inequality is a serious problem today that's underestimated by many but which is behind a lot of the conflicts and populism but also uh, another other social conflicts in in all over Europe and uh, all over the industrialized countries behind Brexit behind uh, the bashing of Europe and the the euro and many uh, European countries um, so it is a problem it's government should take it more seriously Uh, the causes to me uh, are not globalization, uh, but it's really about institutions, weakening of labor market institutions. It's about lack of equality of opportunity and um, partly also technological change. And the solution, therefore, will not be more redistribution, but really focusing on creating equality of opportunity, really creating a level playing field in the area of taxation, in the area of transfers, in the area of education, of course, as well. Um, so that's for me the right way forward, and um, that's the only chance I see to to address uh, the populism. Right. Well, I would say that inequality is contributing to populism, but perhaps not in the way that we've come to to think of it. It's not necessarily about the groups who have had the lowest incomes or have even suffered the biggest decline in incomes. You know, that are the ones that are angry. I think it's more that. The rising inequality has manifested itself in sort of uh, separation of, of different groups into areas that are very prosperous and other communities that are socially isolated. And that social is isolation has led people to focus more on group differences. And uh, so we see, you know, anger at particular outside groups. And those could be Latino migrants to the U.S. or it could be Poles who've come to Britain or it could be Syrian refugees. But It's all about you know, we're a community who feels threatened uh, by change and now we're angry at outsiders. Is inequality on the rise itself at all? Uh, people question the data, whether that's actually true. Uh, what is your take? Clearly, inequality is on the rise. First, it's important to look at what we mean by inequality. Uh, we have inequality of income that clearly over the last four decades has been rising, even though it's not a linear trend. Um, what is much bigger in terms of uh, magnitude is the inequality in wealth and private wealth. And here we have a huge problem because this is really very large and, and rising as well. And third, and to me most importantly, um, equality of opportunity, social mobility. Uh, and this is actually the most important aspect to me. And if you look at countries like Germany, but also at many other countries, it's not only the feeling of people, but it's also reality uh, that social mobility has not been improving, actually in some cases has even deteriorated, meaning for people from a socially weak background and family, it becomes ever more difficult to get a good education, get a good job and have a good career. And uh, Ryan, is, do you think inequality is, is somehow in, inevitable in an innovation-driven society? Or even Is it even desirable to have a high level of, of inequality in order to drive that innovation? That's at least an argument you hear occasionally in the US. 
Well, the degree of inequality is certainly necessary to, to provide the incentive to people to, to take risk, to you know, invest their time and energy in building uh, companies that you know, bring these technologies into the market. I mean, the question, I think, is how much inequality is, is necessary to gener- generate those results uh, at an acceptable cost to sort of social stability. And I think we have, in a number of countries, uh, in the U.S. in particular, uh, gone well beyond the point at which um, the gains from increasing wealth and income inequality are offsetting or, or providing value uh, relative to the cost they're generating in terms of people unhappy with um, you know, the institutions that allow us to get rich in the first place. So I think you know, we're, we've, we're sort of on the wrong side of the, the Laffer curve of inequality, as it were. And uh, populism is, is on the rise everywhere, and the issues are quite different. In, in, in the US, for instance, there is no EU to cause the rise of Trump, for instance, and, uh, or migration issues might differ in other countries, it's religion. So. But it seems that inequality is an issue everywhere. Do you think this is one of the things that, that binds it all together, that inequality really is behind the rise of populism? Certainly, I, th- I see that as a common factor because uh, in Europe we like to blame the euro or the European Union or um, everything external, refugees, for uh, a lot of the problems that are really domestic and that really have to do with the increasing gap between rich and poor. Um, and um, the inequality has caused also a lot of uncertainty. So people are, don't know. They're worried about their future. They're worried about their job, their their income. They are worried that their children will be better off than themselves. Um, so inequality is one aspect, but the uh, uncertainty and the risk, the perceived risk that comes with it, is really what explains the backlash against the political, the economic elite, the feeling we are left behind, we're lacking opportunities. But let, let me challenge you on this point a little, and maybe, maybe Ryan wants to come in on this as well. Um, we have seen trends of rising inequality over time, and yet the rise of populism comes now, and not 10 years ago, or five years ago, where inequality was an issue already. So what is, what is the reason behind why inequality erupts as a political issue now? Is it just, has it just increased to, to a level where people finally get frustrated, um, or is, is there something else going on that comes together with inequality at the time? Well, I think I would say two things. One is that the even though we're sort of seeing the the, the damaging political consequences of, of populism now, the populism has been building over time. I mean, the, you know, the Front National has been around for longer than just the last few years. Um, you know, the push for um, an exit from Europe or for Scottish independence has you know has been building over over time. Uh, and you know, in, in the U.S., you know, the Tea Party and crazy conservatives uh, are not. Uh, you know, they've they've found their voice post-crisis, but they, that those trends were evident beforehand. So I think, uh, you know, part of the story is that it's been building for a while. Um, but I do think that the the crisis exacerbated the tensions by reducing the growth rate across countries. And so in those cases, the the difference in being a winner and, and a loser uh, is much more uh, important, and, and it's much more costly to be on the losing side of, of any of these sort of social divisions. And so that I think that has helped push these things into the forefront. And what about this, this issue of insecurity? I mean, in a way, it's a bit different from inequality, right? We, we can have inequality without people feeling insecure about their place in society or their economic rank. Or we could have a situation where this comes together, inequality plus insecurity about, um, about climbing the social ladder or, or, or decline. What is your take? How important is that aspect of insecurity when it comes to inequality? 
I think is absolutely crucial. Um, insecurity, of course, has a negative connotation, but it can also be positive. I mean, if, if uncertainty, insecurity means um, you can shape your own future. You can, you know, if I try very hard, if I work very hard, get a good training, good education, I will make it to get a better job and have a higher income. Uh, that's kind of the, the, po the positive aspect of um, uncertainty in the sense. But what people feel today, and you see that in a lot of surveys, uh, a lot of studies, is that um, it's really associated with a perception. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm really dependent on the government for social transfer. I'm really, if even if I try very hard, I won't make it. And I think that's kind of where it has turned, that people have a feeling I'm no longer in charge of my own life and my own destiny. And, and that makes it, um, gives a rise to the populism and the backlash that we see today. And that brings, brings us, I think, right into the issue of what can be done about it. You mentioned redistribution. To what extent can redistribution cure this issue of inequality as it affects populism? Um, I mean, is it, is it an issue that people feel just compensated while, as you rightly say, you know, feeling, feeling that they, they, they lose control over, over their destiny? So how, how far can redistribution go to solve this? Well, I'm, I'm sort of skeptical. I mean, I think you know, probably a lack of redistribution in, in, in the sense that among everyone that they were benefiting from growth has gotten us into this mess. I'm not sure that redistribution can get us out of it. And that's because, you know, what has happened uh, as populism has become more, uh, you know, more potent is that particular group identities have become, have hardened and become more salient. And so you see, you see white Americans being particularly angry and skeptical of what's happened in the country. You see um, particular ethnic groups or particular national groups in Europe um, leading the populist charge, if you increase redistribution, it's not clear that that will diffuse you know, this dynamic because people will care more about the fact that their tax dollars are being used potentially to go to outgroups um, that are the ones they're upset about you know, being in the country in the first place. You know, if, you, if there's not the social basis to share resources across groups, uh, then doing more redistribution, even if it might be sort of Know, the right thing to do um, is going to make those those group divisions more intense and you know contribute more to the anger associated with them. Would you say the same about about the case of Europe, or particularly Germany? Is that true to the same extent? Absolutely. If equality of opportunity is a problem, you are not going to solve it with more transfers, right? Um, so that that is really a key point and. Um, there's one quote by Ronald Reagan that comes to my mind that I, that I really like a lot that says uh, the sentence you most hate to hear from the government is the following is I'm from the government I'm here to help uh, right so people really want the government to stay outside and want to shape their own life um, and the same holds for Europe um, many people have the feeling they no longer have that control and um, so if inequality is uh, behind the rise of populism, and we've just talked about the limits of redistribution in, in fighting it, um, so what, what would be your preferred policy? Is there like this one? I know there's no silver bullet, obviously, but what, what, is, your, what is your preferred one, Ryan? Uh, that's a difficult question. I mean, I think, I think probably and unfortunately governments will need to accept a degree of deglobalization as a way of... Uh, providing increased economic security to, to troubled groups without relying exclusively on redistribution, which I think could potentially inflame the populist uh, sentiment. And that's unfortunate. It will There will be a growth cost and efficiency cost to it, and there will be significant losers, largely in, in less developed countries. But I think the alternatives uh, lead to equally bleak places. 
So sorry for that that gloomy answer. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Well, at, at least we, we can disagree on one point. So that's good. <laughs> we get some discussion going. I don't think deglobalization or limiting migration really is a solution uh, because it's it's not really the cause of of high inequality. So I see really the the, the main solution to a uh, better access to education. And that's a long term issue. Clearly, it's not going to solve much in the next five years. But what will have a much bigger and faster um, um, impact. Um, is better labor market policies. We have so many people falling behind, uh, um, lack training and ed the right skill set, um, access to, to, to jobs. Um, so that is something that can work fairly quickly. And I think that's what most countries, UK, just as uh, US or Germany have in common, where uh, the government could achieve quite a bit and quite quickly. One final question. There is also a spatial dimension of inequality. We have different regions within a country Uh, developing better or worse, and, and this, this seems to feed populism as well, this kind of regional inequality. Um, how, how, would you, how would you about fixing this, as it were? Or what, is, what is kind of the policy to address regional inequalities as a source of, as a source of populism? Well, I think there's really two approaches to it. I mean, one is that you take the places that are very successful and where that are, you know, areas of concentrated wealth, and you try to allow them to accommodate more people. I mean, we're not building enough housing or enough infrastructure in places like London, and that that is one of the reasons why there's so much uh, of a gap between the, the rich places and the poor places. The alternative is to invest a lot more in struggling places. I think the problem with that is that our experience with it is not especially great. That it's it's much harder to create new areas of prosperity than it is to enlarge one's uh, areas of prosperity that are already around. And um, you know, the, the, the difficulty there politically is that you know, if you focus on increasing the areas that are already prosperous, you're giving money to the, the region that's already doing quite well, and that can be a very difficult political sell. Well, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you for listening. If you like to see our podcast and this mini-series on the economics of populism, you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud for regular updates. And let us know what you think. Give us a rating and a comment on iTunes and join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag CERpodcast. Thank you for listening to the CER Podcast. You can find more on our website, cer.org.uk, or follow us on Twitter at CER underscore London.